Hear the word of the Lord. That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Akish said to his servants, Look at that man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Thank you, Terry. Good morning. I grew up, as many of you know, in a little town called Half Moon Bay, California. Right on the beach, and my house was about four or five houses uh, just off the water. And all throughout my upbringing, uh, life was pretty, pretty good. Uh, but as, as you know, and as we journey through life, there's just days that are pretty crummy. And so what I would do on those crummy days is I would run to the beach. And our beach was a big moon, half moon shaped beach. And typically nobody was on it. So it would just be me and God and this powerful San Francisco Bay crashing ocean. And that's the place I would go when life got difficult, when life was crazy, when I didn't understand, when I broke up with a girlfriend, you go there, to the beach. And the same happened for me as I went to Westmont College. And as the studies got difficult, and as grades weren't as good as I wanted them to be, and as relationships were hard, and life got overwhelming, I would go down to the Santa Barbara beach, and I would just yell at the waves. They could take it. It was a place of refuge for me. A place where I could find some comfort in the power of the ocean. What does that look like for you? Where's your place of refuge? Where do you run when life gets upside down? Where do you run when you're, you're pressed? Just or totally stressed out? You just can't take it anymore. Where's your place of refuge that you go to? David is on the run as we continue in 1 Samuel 21. And as he's on the run, he is seeking a place of refuge, but he's running from Nob, where he was, where the priest was, and he's running all the way uh, southwest to Gath, 
a Philistine territory. The enemy. And he's actually going there to find a place of refuge as he runs from King Saul, who's out to kill him, who's out to take his life. And we find David going 25 to 30 miles, again from Nob to Gath, and he is fleeing, the scriptures say. I don't want you to miss the words. He flees to Gath. Not to God. He flees to the place of the world. He flees to the enemy. He flees to a place where he thinks he can find some refuge. He goes to Gath and not to God. It's the wrong place to find refuge. And then we see it ends up in the scriptures that he flees to Gath and he escapes to Adullam. Adullam meaning place of refuge. Where God's going to do a lot of work with him. So he arrives, as we begin this section this morning, he arrives in the town of Gath. And what does he have in his hand? Do you remember from last week? He has the sword of Goliath. It doesn't seem to be the wisest plan. I'm going to flee from Nob, the place of the priests, the place actually where I could have found sanctuary. And he, he deceives Ahimelech, the priest, goes down to the city of Gath with the sword of Goliath, the great warrior of the Philistines. And there he shows up. I think the idea is that David is trying to form some sort of political alliance with Achish and trying to, to come to him and, and work something out. So hopefully he can be safe and yet maybe offer his skills in this place. So he escapes down there. And before he even begins the negotiations with the king of Gath, he's identified. I mean, it, it, it kind of reminds me, it reminds me of, of uh, Clark Kent, you know, and Superman. Like, he puts the glasses on, and apparently we're not supposed to know his identity, you know? Yeah, the glasses, that's a good cover-up. It's not Superman. It's Clark Kent. He shows up with a sword, and he's identified by the servants. Isn't this the king of the land? Isn't he the one where this song was sung? And here's what's interesting. Remember the song that was sung was was Saul had killed his thousands and David had killed his tens of thousands. And the servants identify David. And in this foreign land, in this foreign soil, this, this song was top of the charts. Casey Kasem's billboard. Hey, he's killed his tens of thousands. We know the song word for word and they speak it out word for word. Isn't it amazing what's known about David? And also what's known about God. It was known who he was. He shows up into the land and then fear, fear, fear takes over. As it does with us. 
You see, when fear comes in the door, faith flies out the window, doesn't it? When fear consumes us, our faith goes out the window. These servants speak these words and it penetrates deeply into David's soul and he is afraid. The scriptures give us an idea that he was actually captured as he's brought before the king of Gath so that he is trapped now and he's brought before and fear comes upon him. What a change for King David in his journey of faith. Remember, David was a man who was loved by everybody. He had all kinds of support. He had had his good friend Jonathan. He had his wife. He was in control of the armies. He was the man, and the scriptures say over and over again, everybody loved David. He had support. He had supernatural protection by the prophets when he went to Ramah. And God took care of all the enemies who came after him there. And now he's a fugitive in foreign soil, and he finds no help or support in this place. And yet it's in this place, in the wilderness and on the run, that God is still at work in his life. Just like with you and me. Because I think we find ourselves in Gath often. We flee to a place of the world. We look for refuge in that which cannot provide us refuge. And David found himself there, and God is still working. The potter still molding the pot, which you and I are. And even in the middle of our sin, David, in fear, lied, deceived the high priest, and he continues to create this story and run away. And he is a man who was in fellowship with God and with his people around him, and now we find him in a place where he's out of fellowship. He's out of fellowship. He doesn't have anybody around him. And his relationship towards God is, I'm distant, I'm over here. God's still pursuing him like he does with us. But David, in his fellowship, is distant at this point and reacts out of fear. God's at work, as he is in our life. It's God who had the arrow go over beyond him. I don't think David was going into the desert, into the situation, because of any failure or any sin, but that God was working in his life and moving him into this place of the desert. God's purpose in refining him. Remember who David's going to be? He's going to be the king. God is working on him. God is putting him to the test. And in the middle of being put into the wilderness, the question is, how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond? God wants to refine and and, and see David's devotion and his faith. And he sends David into the desert. How will we respond when we end up there? Because we all end up there. All of us. 
You don't escape the desert because God's in the, in the refining work, isn't he? God is, is conforming and transforming us into his image. That's the work God is doing. I always love that statement. God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to let you stay that way. He's growing us up. He's growing us up. Molding us into his image. Allowing us to go into the desert. Testing us. Refining us. How will we respond? Will we run to Gath? Or will we run to God? Will we choose to sin? Or will we choose to surrender when we're in the desert? We all go there. And many of us are there right now. He's preparing David for the throne. He's to make this man of God. And the servants in Gath cry out, Here's this king! Yet he had no country, he had no queen, no subjects, no friends. All he had left was self-respect. And actually that gets thrown out the window too, doesn't it? He acts like a madman with spittle dribbling down his beard. There's not even self-respect left. We think about David's journey and ours. What, a, what an undignified moment for the anointed king. What a place of ache. What a place in a low valley. And I think if you're real honest, God's will, I'm going to refine this soon-to-be king. God's sending him there. And we see an honest journey where David, just like, just like you and me, we struggle, we fall short, we sin, we panic in the middle of God's will to grow us up because of fear. You ever panicked? All of a sudden, I don't think God's plan, God's purpose in growing me up here is working, and I'm panicking, and so I'm going to make it work for myself. You ever gotten there? We would go to Mexico when I was high school pastor. Jack, you were there with me. We go to Mexico almost every year. And I love going to, even as a youth in high school with Kenny Halcom. Where's Kenny? I saw Kenny over there. Kenny and I used to go to Mexico, Mexicali every year with Peninsula Bible Church. And I loved it so much going to minister down there and building houses and just loving kids and families uh, that as a high school pastor here, uh, I took our high school kids every year for eight or nine years. And then I took our college students. Just a great ministry. And so one year, and, and we really believe this is the will of God to go and to serve here. We really felt the Lord's impression upon us to go. And so one year we get down and we're coming to the Tijuana border. And as we get in, and it's always a little stressful because you're waiting, you know, you've got to go through. There's, there's either a red light or a green light. Green light is welcome. Red light is pull over. And so I'm the guy driving the 15-passenger van. I'm the guy with the big trailer on the back. And I'm the leader of the group. And we have seven other vehicles with us. And so I get to the pool in, you know, and they're kind of asking, what are you doing? Oh, we're here to, to build a house. We're here to, to be with this church. 
And uh, they're like, okay, pull up. And the red light goes off. I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding. And usually what they do at the red light is they'll come and just ask you a few more questions. But on this one, they wanted me to pull off to the side into their whole search section, which is not a good thing. That usually means you're dishing out hundreds of dollars to get out of there. And so we get over into that section, and I'm just like, I'm praying, and I'm like, Lord, really? You know, this is your deal. This is your trip. What am I doing over here in the the section where I'm going to be searched? And you know they're going to... I mean, you got to understand, the packing, it was, it was incredible packing to get every, every sleeping bag and every bag into our trailer, you know? We had the specialist in packing so that it all fit. And I knew these guys were going to come and undo that whole thing. So we're going to lose, you know, a couple hours on this deal, plus, plus a lot of money. And so I started to panic. I'm sitting there, and at first I was praying, I was trusting God, but then nobody was coming. Nobody was coming. And I'm freaking out a little bit. I'm like, oh man, they're doing some sort of research on us or something. (laughs) Then nobody's coming and nobody's coming. And so I get on my CB and everybody, the rest of the other cars are pulled over. (laughs) And I'm like, hey, listen gang, nobody's coming. I'm going to pull out and go. (laughs) So, So I slowly back up. And I start pulling out of this section because I'm panicking. And I'm like, I'm not going to get hit here. And, and, you know, if you've been to Mexico, it, it's a whole other system, right? So I'm just like, okay, we're just going to go. Now, your kids were on this trip with me. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God, that was 15 years ago. Okay. They still, they made it through. Uh, so I pull out, and just as I'm coming out of this big overhang, you know, it's kind of this one section that's closed off, and just as I'm coming out, I'm like, I'm going, I'm going. And I pull out, and this, this Humvee, police Humvee, pulls right in front of me. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, I made a big mistake. And the Humvee looks at me, and then pulls out, and he's chasing after somebody else. And so I'm like, we're going! <laughs> so, and so we went, and we made it, and we built a house, and we had incredible ministry. <laughs> I panicked. I panicked. I didn't trust God for what he was doing. And, and you know, I could have probably got us into some crazy trouble. You ever panicked in the middle of God's will, not knowing exactly how it's all going to work out? And so you choose to flee to Gath not to God. And in the middle of this craziness, David throws off all his inhibitions and he becomes, and he, and he does this role of a madman. He changed his sanity, his discernment, his understanding, his suitable behavior. In their eyes, he was a madman. And the word in this text about being a madman suggests that David really acted out this role. He would have showed up at the Academy Awards and he would have won by a long shot. He really played it up. I mean, he's got spit on his face and his hair is wild. And they bought into it. What a role he did. See how far we get? 
when we choose to flee to Gath, to the world, to a place of refuge that cannot offer us refuge. Actually, again, fleeing to the enemy to find a place where he can be protected. He panics. And he sins against the Lord. There he is panicking, and then we find him scribbling on the gate, on the doors of the gate, saliva in his beard. Brian Morgan mentions that scribbling on the gate is a, is a picture of sorrow. It's a picture of impotence, of longing. You see, beyond the gate lies freedom. But he himself is, is locked up. He's trapped in Gath, in this foreign soil. This place has become a prison for him. He longs to escape to get out. And the gate is an image of a a powerful, hard gate, thick walls, and how the weak efforts of this poor, crazy man cannot escape this. You see, when we choose to sin, when we think that the world or that other sources will bring us life or protection or refuge, we end up in a place where we are trapped. And we go, how in the world did we get here? Sin always takes us further than we ever want to go. Always. We think we can sin. We think we can live life on our own. We think we can say, God, you're not part of this. And it always takes us further than we want to go. And David's at that place. He's a place of acting out of complete madness. He is out of control. And I think this text is a warning for us. What can happen to us when we, when we flee to the world for refuge? When we think we'll gain freedom there, or, or we think we'll gain some comfort in that place. David's looking for protection. And it's interesting, isn't it, as he shows up and they say, hey, isn't that the king of the land? Whether or not they were mocking him or not, I don't really know. Hey, isn't that the king of the land? You see what God's doing there in this foreign soil? I think he's reminding David from the enemy, don't forget who you are, David. Don't forget who you are. And you know what? For us, I think it's this. Don't forget that you're a child of God. Don't forget that you're in relationship with a covenant God who cannot break his covenant, who has your life, who loves you, who is your shield and your refuge and your protection who is the one who can save us and the only one who can save us. He is the only one who can give us life. He is the one who has promised over and over and over again, don't you know that I am with you? Joshua, don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Don't you know I am your God? I'm with you. David, don't forget you're to be the king. Dear saints, don't forget that you are children of God. Why do we run in fear 
when God has our life. David's acting job is very successful. And so the king of Gath says, Do I lack any madmen that you brought this one to me? Shall this one come into my house? Again, that gives us some indication that David was trying to form some sort of alliance to bring this man into the house would be into his service. Do I lack madmen? And then we find the end of this text that David is driven out, literally thrown out by the king of Gath, narrowly escaping death. And he goes and he seeks refuge in Judea into the cave of Adullam, which means place of refuge. That's the place where God's at. That's the place where God's going to meet him and start to work on his soul. That's the place where God woos him back. It's the place where David will surrender and start to recognize who he is and to recognize how he lived in fear and to recognize how he didn't trust God. And then he will come to a place where he understands who God is in his life and what God's purpose is for him. It's good for us to be in that cave. We don't like it very much. It's often dark, feels empty. But it's good for us to be in that cave with God. Just a few reflections on this passage. David is a man of incredible faith. All of Scripture gives us the idea that he has a heart after God's. And that's where we desire to go, to a place our heart is after God. That we are becoming men and women who have a heart like him. He compromises and seeks protection in the world, hoping it will provide refuge. And the question for all of us, again, is in the middle of the wilderness when we're under incredible pressure, when you are stressed to the nth degree and you don't even know how you're going to get out of this situation and you can't even picture that the pain will go away, where are you going to run for refuge? I think the greatest temptation we all face when we are put into the desert place is that we, we, we are tempted to go quickly. We do not wait upon the Lord. I should have waited at that place in Mexico. But we don't want to wait for what God is doing with us. We don't want to wait and see God's power played out because it doesn't seem to be working at the moment. And so we're drawn to the world. We're drawn to other sources for life. We look for avenues that we want comfort. Larry Crabb in his book, Finding God, says this, Feeling better for us has become more important to us than finding God. Feeling better, comfort now, has become more important to us than finding God in the wilderness. And so where do we turn often? 
let's just be honest. Where do we turn? For some of us, it's, it's wine. You know, there's times in my life, and, and maybe you find yourself saying this some days, you get home after a crummy week or just a real crummy day at work, and you're like, I need a glass of wine. I need one. And then sometimes that becomes a daily thing. I need to be comforted. My place of refuge, my place of escape, my place where I want to find some comfort now is in a glass of wine. And you only know before the Lord how far that goes. I don't believe having a glass of wine is sinful. You know what the scriptures say, don't be drunk on wine. But how many of us is that becoming a dependency for us and our place of refuge? It's a place where the enemy wants to draw you in. You don't need the Lord. You just need to kind of dull the senses right now. Even I am tempted in that direction sometimes. Ministry can be pretty heavy. We have lots of death. We have lots of pain. And sometimes you're like, Lord, this doesn't make any sense. I need a glass of wine. Where do you turn for refuge? Do you start to become a workaholic because you don't want to deal with your family? You can't figure out how it's all playing out. Your marriage is unhappy. And so you're going to work all the time. That's your place that the world is drawing you to. I don't want to deal with what's going on at home. What's your place of refuge? For too many, it's become another woman or another man who's not your spouse. Where are we turning? Are we fleeing to Gath? Or are we escaping and returning back to God? And I just want to encourage you, dear saints, that we escape to Adullam, to that place of refuge. It is your only source of life. It is your only real refuge. Let God be with you and let God be your, your strength, your power, your source. Let God pour his love into your life. Let God fill you with joy when you think you couldn't even have any. Where's that place of refuge for you? God doesn't give up on us. God doesn't give up on us when we've had too many glasses of wine when we've run to work, when we've run even to another woman or man. He reminds us of our identity. And he wants us to repent and run to him and be renewed and be restored and find refuge in him. He reminds David, you're king of the land. And though, David, you are faithless, I am not. I am your faithful covenant God. And I walk with you in this journey of faith. You do not have to live in fear because I am your God. And he brings David home to Adullam, as he does with his wayward sons and daughters.
It's a place of refuge, a place of rest in the Lord. And God does his work. Out of that cave, and in response to all that took place in David's fearful journey, and is acting like a madman, and is deceiving Ahimelech, the high priest, David writes two psalms that relate. And I wanted to give you a few of those verses. Because this is what happens if we surrender to God. This is what happens. Your hearts are changed. Don't you remember you're a new creation in Christ? When we surrender to the power of God, He transforms us. He makes us more and more into His image. If we keep resisting that, we miss on all that He wants to do in our lives. And what we see in Psalm 56 and in Psalm 34 is that David allows God to get a hold of this wretched sinner and transform him into the king he's meant to be. Let me just read a few verses out of Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. When I am afraid, verse 3, listen to this, God's transformed him because he was afraid. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word, look at that, in whose word I praise, I give your word honor and power and authority. In whose word I praise, in God I trust. Do you? It's a question I have to ask myself often. Do I really trust God? in the middle of this wilderness. David allowed God to transform him in that cave and to recognize his sinfulness and to recognize his fear. And God I trust, even when the enemy is coming against me. God's word I praise, I hold it up with value. And then Psalm 34. And here's something I just want to tell you. As we as saints try to minister to one another, Psalm 34 is one that you want to have with you at all times. It's a psalm that you want to bring to those who are hurting. It's a psalm that you want to show up at the hospital with and say, let me remind you of who God is in the middle of this wilderness as you're on this bed in the hospital going, what's happening with my life? Let me just read some of that psalm. This is David who was running in fear, and look where he comes. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Magnify the Lord. Verse 4, and this is where I want us to run to. I sought the Lord. And he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. Look at verse 6. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and he saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. 
and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is God. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. Verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Look at this final verse, because we're going to enter into communion right now. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Amen? It's a beautiful time for us to take communion together. That God doesn't just dismiss us when we fail. That God wants to remind us that we are children of God. And that we have a Lord who has died on the cross for our sin, to pay the price for our sin. And we have a Lord who rose again from the dead, that we should have life, all of us who would believe upon him. And this is a reminder of the payment, because he knows you and I are messed up in need of a Savior. And it's a reminder of God's grace. Let's take communion together.